oral questions by members. Member for Kelowna Mission. Women are suffering disproportionately under the collapsing health care system under this NDP government. Maternity services are lacking, leading to clinic closures, frequent ward diversions, and severe shortages of OBGYNs and midwives. Gynecological oncologists are lacking, with the fewest of any province in Canada. Cervical cancer screening turnaround times, well, they've increased to 18 weeks, endangering women's lives. And then there's the growing medical imaging wait times, forcing diseases such as breast cancer to go undiagnosed and untreated. Women are being denied basic health care, and their pain and their health matters. When will this Premier finally deliver the health care results that women deserve? Minister of Health. Well, uh, thank you very much, uh, Honourable Speaker, and thank you uh, to the member for her question. Uh, women's health has been a high priority for our government from the beginning, and the significant difference has been made both for health care providers, uh, uh, in, in, in the majority of cases women, and of course for women receiving care. Significant action has been taken across the board and consistently, including, we're talking about maternity care, the significant investments in midwives and significant investments we need to increase training spaces for doctors and nurses and nurse practitioners and midwives. It is of highest priority to us every single day. The list of, of actions that have been taken is long, but what is important is that we have to continue to build our public health care system. It's why we have a health human resources plan with more than 70 actions for more nurse practitioners and more nurses and more doctors and more health care workers. And why, I think, this government has made a real change in the care provided to women, no matter where they are in the health care system, by treating all health care workers, the majority of whom are women, with respect. Member for Kelowna Mission Supplemental. The Minister's rhetoric, it just doesn't reflect the reality that women are experiencing today. Here's an example of a woman that's facing an issue in our healthcare system right now. In this email, Crystal is pleading for her daughter who is ill. Crystal's daughter's been in and out of the ICU with overworked nurses unable to provide care or answer questions, leaving Crystal, her daughter, and her family in the dark and suffering. Crystal's experience with her daughter at KGH has been grueling and heartbreaking, with packed hallways and a lack of privacy that make it impossible for them or any of the other patients to rest, get information, have some privacy, or just communicate. Crystal's plea is very simple, and I'm gonna quote it. Imagine it was your sister admitted to a bed in the hallway end quote. Across BC, countless women continued to be denied access to basic health care. 
How much longer is this premier going to continue to neglect the health of women like Crystal and her daughter? Minister of Health. Uh, thank you very much, Honourable Chair. I think um, as a public health care system, over the last number of years, our health care workers, our health care professionals have demonstrated extraordinary skill and extraordinary compassion under the most challenging of circumstances. Two public health emergencies presented concurrently and significant challenges people face. Uh, over the last couple of years, for example, the number of people waiting, women and men, on surgical wait lists has been reduced in a time of extraordinary challenges in our healthcare system. It is true, it is true at present, there are approximately 10,000 people in acute care hospitals admitted to acute care hospitals in BC. And this is an exceptional challenge. And our staff, under the most difficult of circumstances, have been up to that challenge. They have worked exceptionally hard providing care for everybody, every person in our healthcare system. They deserve our respect, and they have it. They deserve our support, and they have it. They deserve our investment and action, and they've seen it. And we are going to continue to act to support women and all people who need care in our public health care system. Member for Prince George Wilmont. Well, thank you very much. And uh, to the Minister, I can't even begin to imagine what the health care system would look like today without the undying, tireless, unbelievable efforts of health care workers in this province. the situation for many women in this province is that it is about results. It is about how the system is managed. Every single day, we hear from women across this province who want this Premier to do something. Five months ago, I shared Sarah's story. A pregnant mother in her second trimester left alone for hours at the hospital forced to have a miscarriage in the washroom and left traumatized. That wasn't the only case. Over the weekend, we learned about Sonia Portillo's story, a young woman who suffered an untreated miscarriage, and she was left in a hospital hallway in Langley overnight, bleeding heavily and experiencing excruciating pain. And in Sonia's words, not mine, her words, she said, and I quote, I was bleeding through my clothes. I tried to get up and walk, and it was a no-go. Just instantly dizzy, nauseous, and I needed to lay down even to recuperate my breath." End quote. That's the reality for some women in British Columbia today. More women than we can tell the stories of in this legislature. So to the Premier, six years, two terms, Sarah, Sonia, and dozens and dozens and dozens of other women like them. How many more patients like Sonia need to suffer before women in this province receive the health care results that they deserve? Minister of Health. Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker. And losing a, a baby during any stage of pregnancy is a traumatic thing for all involved. It's an awful thing and very difficult for people uh, to deal with. And the circumstances, regardless of what they are, are ones for which we all can have, I think, 
the most profound sympathy and support the people involved in the case mentioned by the Honourable Member. The issues will be brought forward to the Fraser Health Patient Care Office because concerns about care are always important. When people present in emergency rooms, they are regularly checked on, of course, by health professionals doing exceptional work. And every time there are concerns with our public health care system, not sometimes, but every time we respond, it shows why, Honourable Speaker, we need to take the actions we've taken. The actions we've taken in primary care, Honourable Speaker, more than 2,000 doctors joining a new payment model. The actions we've taken in nursing care, the leading the country in new registered nurses since I've been Minister of Health. The actions we've taken for health sciences professionals to add, in that case, this year, more than 336 training spaces. The actions we've taken to add healthcare workers and to treat them with respect in our public health care system, which is fundamentally important. We've added net 38,000 workers, and the challenges are real. And we're going to have to ha add, in the next five years, 38,000 more. And that's why we've taken actions time after time after time to make things better and to support our public health care workers and all the patients in that system. Member for Prince George Wilmot, supplemental. Well, Mr. Speaker, as difficult as it is to even share their stories, uh, women like Sarah and Sonia simply don't believe that the action has resulted in the kind of care that they deserve and hundreds of other women like them in this province. What they know is that their experience was a nightmare. It was painful. Following her miscarriage, Sarah was left without basic medical care and in fact lost three liters of blood while waiting in a hospital hallway in our province. This isn't about overworked and under-resourced and demoralized nurses or doctors. They do their best every single day. This is about where it starts at the top. It's about the Premier. It's about the Minister. It's about doing the job that will make a difference for women like Sarah and Sonia. Women today are not having their most basic needs met. What kind of system do we have that leaves a young woman like Sonia in critical condition without medical care or support in this province? When will the Premier step up? Hear the stories and the voices of Sarah and Sonia and hundreds of other women and take the action that results in providing better health care outcomes that the women of this province deserve. Minister of Health. Uh, Honourable uh, Speaker, uh, all patients, all patients admitted to the emergency room get care and they get care on a regular basis. I want to make that very clear to everybody. When people need to go to an emergency room, they will get exceptional efforts by everyone involved. Oh, Honourable Speaker, um, in, the in this case, of course, these are matters that are appropriately dealt with. Complaints when they're brought forward, concerns when they're brought forward, appropriately dealt with by the Patient Care Quality Office. That is the system that we set up together as a legislature to do that in order to give people voice and to ensure that their voices are heard and that change is brought. And we're going to continue to act, Honourable Speaker, to make the changes for women's health, some of the most significant changes in 
some of the most significant changes have been brought about in the history of our public health care system to support the health of women over the last number of years and continue to do that, whether it's in maternity care to end-of-life care, Honorable Speaker, to ensure that all women get the care they deserve. House Leader, Third Party. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Today and every day, I honor the matriarchs whose patience, love, and support has forged the person that I am today. This question, these two questions that I'm about to ask are uh, in honor of my friend and colleague, the leader of the third party, my grandmothers, my aunties, my mother, my sisters, my nieces, cousins, my wife, Emily, and my daughter, Ella. My question to the government, what progress has been made on the many, many, many promises to address gender-based violence in British Columbia? Minister of State for Child Care. Thank you, Mr. Speaker, and thank you to the member opposite for the question. Uh, I share his uh, commitment to this work um, and uh, our obligations as government, uh, but as members of our community, to stand up against gender-based violence in all its forms. It happens in communities of every kind across our province. We know that Indigenous women and girls racialized uh, women, newcomers, immigrants, uh, trans people in our communities are disproportionately likely to face violence. Um, we are committed to taking action on gender-based violence and supporting survivors. We're building an action plan led by the Parliamentary Secretary for Gender Equity to end gender-based violence and ensure that the supports are there. While that work is underway, Mr. Speaker, we're continuing to take steps to ensure that supports are there, providing funding to about 50 community centers, uh, sexual assault centers, um, and increasing it by $10 million a year. This is funding that is for emergency sexual assault response. Uh, I know the member opposite uh, has a commitment to this uh, issue, uh, as do I. Um, Mr. Speaker, uh, we're providing stable funding to over 400 victim services and violence against women programs, investing in housing, uh, for women uh, uh, leaving violence and seeking safety and opportunity with their children. Uh, Mr. Speaker, this is work we're committed to. Um, um, me personally, all those uh, on this side of the House, and I uh, will continue this work. Thank you. Member Supplemental. Mr. Speaker, nearly 45% of Canadian women have experienced some form of intimate partner violence, and uh, this rate is increasing. The numbers are even higher for Indigenous women and girls and LGBTQ and Two-Spirit people. Uh, this government has made many promises, including uh, the promise of an action plan to address gender-based violence that the Minister mentioned. That was due by the end of 2022, Mr. Speaker, and we're ending, nearing the end of the first quarter of 2023. We've not yet seen that. Uh, I have stood many times in this House uh, when uh, there's ministerial statements with respect to missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls, and the uh, very um, small amounts of money that have been invested in action by this provincial government. Uh, as the Minister mentioned, there has been finally, after many years of advocacy from the Minister, uh, before she was a member of this place, 
uh, to uh, increase the funding for sexual assault centres, and certainly I know uh, there's a gratitude uh, for that. But unfortunately, it doesn't appear, Mr. Speaker, that despite the promises of action plans and the promises that have been made, that gender-based violence is actually a priority for this government. So through you, again, Mr. Speaker, the promises are not actions. When is this BC NDP government going to deliver on the promises with actions to address gender-based violence? Minister of State for Child Care. Thank you, Mr. Speaker, and thanks again to the member. Um, with regards to the action plan, that is a commitment our government has made. Uh, we're taking the time to get it right, including with our partners uh, uh, in the communities, uh, our community partners, service delivery partners, and uh, uh, Indigenous partners. Um, Mr. Speaker, that action plan is underway, but we're not waiting for the plan to take those concrete steps that survivors need and that communities need. Just this week, Mr. Speaker, uh, with the um, introduction of the Intimate Images uh, Act uh, is one example, but uh, Mr. Speaker, all post-secondary institutions are now required to have sexual violence and misconduct policies, um, investments uh, in transition homes and safe homes and second stage housing, working with our partners uh, from police to frontline service providers. Uh, Mr. Speaker, this. Uh, this work is underway for an action plan and steps are taken across all parts of government uh, to have the services and supports in there while we undertake that big picture work. Thank you. Member for West Vancouver, Capilano. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Um, in his response to my colleague's previous question about very serious issues around women's health, the minister read off a list of things that the government has done but did not talk about the results. Uh, what this minister is doing and what this government is doing with respect to health and women's health is just simply not working. So despite all the announcements and the press releases from the NDP government, nurses are continuing to face physical assaults and unsafe working conditions in hospitals. And the situation, as we all know here, is only getting worse. The threat of being muzzled by the Minister of Health, and this is a real threat, and we hear it over and over again, um, it is not silenced nurses at Royal Inland Hospital who are reporting to us multiple cold white ass assaults and attempted assaults in just the last few weeks. One nurse, who can't be named for fear of retribution by this NDP government, says, and I quote, I fear for my personal safety and fear that more violent incidents are yet to come." Unquote. Uh, it has rippled through the department, causing a visible increase in staff anxiety and concerns. Five months ago, this NDP government made yet another empty announcement of 320 protection officers, but none have been seen. Zero have been seen. When will nurses finally see some real results from this Premier instead of empty NDP promises? Here, here. Of health. Well, uh, thank you very much, Honourable Speaker. And yes, indeed, working with the BC Nurses Union, working with uh, all healthcare unions and all workers in healthcare, we are changing the way we do security to support workers in our public healthcare system. And we're doing it, Honourable Speaker, in cooperation. I must say, uh, one of the things that we have changed, Honourable Speaker, is to bring back an independent occupational health and safety uh, system for healthcare workers in BC. One, Honourable Speaker, 
one that, by the way, the previous government got rid of in 2010, got rid of by the leader of the opposition. We have changed for health care workers in BC by giving all health care workers their rights back. You will recall the impact, Honourable Speaker, of Bill 29 and of Bill 94 on health care workers across BC. Continue. Uh, the leader, leader of the opposition, no doubt, shedding across more lessons in empathy, honourable speaker. But I, I would say, honourable speaker, I would say that these issues are of fundamental importance, and that's why we've done this work together. That's why we're bringing about this change together, honourable speaker. Yes, the previous government privatised security. Yes, the previous government laid off healthcare workers, and we are giving them back their rights. And I simply reject the suggestion. I simply reject the suggestion. With the changes that we've put in place, the changes we've put in place in terms of the Public Interest Disclosure Act and rules in place at all health authorities, we hear from people every day, critical and not. I am happy to hear from them, always, Honourable Speaker. We treat every... Members, members, members. Minister will continue. We treat everybody with respect healthcare workers and nurses and patients. Honourable Speaker, you know, it's a fundamentally serious issue. It's one I take fundamentally seriously. It's one we've taken action on. It's one that we're implementing. It's one we're implementing with the BC Nurses Union, with the Health Sciences Association, with the HEU, Honourable Speaker. And the reason we're doing it is we know how important it is to every healthcare worker and to every patient that they be safe in our hospitals and our healthcare facilities, and we are going to continue to act in this area. Member for Caribou North. Mr. Speaker, one in five women will experience sexual assault during their time at post-secondary. And let us be clear, it was in 2016 our formal government that made it law in this province for public post-secondary institutions to establish sexual misconduct policies on every campus in British Columbia. But now students from across British Columbia are calling on this government for funding to further that work to ensure that sexualized and gender-based violence supports on campus are properly funded and resourced. This Premier and this budget have failed to answer that call. So the Alliance of BC students have said, and I quote, leaving sexualized and gender-based violence supports on campus under-resourced and underfunded is both irresponsible and dangerous, end quote. Why has the Premier failed to provide the necessary funding to protect students from sexual assault and gender-based violence on campus? Minister of Post-Secondary Education. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Speaker. And um, I join with the member about uh, sexualized violence on campus uh, that is wrong, um, and it will not be tolerated by anyone, I think, uh, in this House. 
Um, and the member is correct. It was under uh, her government that policies were required to be put in place. But I want to remind everybody in this House that that came with zero dollars. And it was our government, it was our government that provided three quarters of a million dollars to colleges and universities to prevent and to respond to sexual violence. That was our government. We also provided half a million dollars to public post-secondary institutions to establish and improve anonymous reporting systems because they needed help. And it was our government that responded with the resources that they needed. Mr. Speaker, we also introduced a new requirement that all private training institutions must now have sexual violence policies and report on them annually because the previous government um, let them off the hook around this, Mr. Speaker. We're going to continue to work with our our, uh, our private and public post-secondary institutions to make sure that everyone, that everyone feels safe on campus. Member for Surrey South. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Gender-based violence, uh, family, pardon me, gender-based family violence is a life or death issue, and women are disproportionately impacted by a lack of access to family legal services. And shockingly, 70% of legal aid applications are made by women, and 55% of those applications are denied. Despite the urgent need for support, the Premier, in his former role as Attorney General, repeatedly put up roadblocks to quash a case launched by the Single Mothers Alliance in 2017. Shame. Last year, the Premier even directed lawyers to try to have the case thrown out. So, Mr. Speaker, Women fleeing domestic violence abuse deserve better than a premier who actively tries to deny them access to justice. So why did this premier try to throw out the case of the Single Mothers Alliance? Attorney General. Thank you, Mr. Speaker, and I want to thank the member for the very important question. Um, as the matters before the court, I can't comment on the specifics of the case, but I can say that access to justice is something that this government takes very seriously. Um, we've invested and continue to invest in access to, to justice services, particularly in the area of family law, by focusing on early resolution um, for family law. So women and people without access to lawyers can get early resolution for the matters that they need and divert things away from the courtroom. We'll continue to focus on investing on the services that we know people need uh, particularly women when it comes to uh, the court system. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Member for Surrey South Supplemental. Yes, thanks, Mr. Speaker. Well, the problem is that we are talking about a specific case, one uh, intervened by the Premier himself, and that answer just simply wasn't good enough. The Premier led the effort to intervene in the case against the Single Mothers Alliance, and he needs to make the effort to fix the damage that he's done. So through you, Mr. Speaker, to the Premier, when will the Premier fix the damage he's done opposing the Single Mothers Alliance? Attorney General. Um, as I'm, I'm unable to talk about a case before the court, I'd like to talk about our investments in legal aid. When they were in government, Mr. Speaker, they, got, they had 40% cuts across the board, and they cut family law services by 60%. Uh, they completely eliminated poverty law services in this province, okay. and they cut the number of staff from 460 to 155, and the number of offices from 42 to just seven. That's what they thought about access to justice, Mr. Speaker. Members. We've been continually investing in services to make it easier for people to access our justice system, and we will continue to do so. Thank you, Mr. Speaker.
Member for Richmond North Centre. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. It's shameful that Vancouver has become the anti-Asian hate crime capital of North America. Asian women are facing rising violence based on both race and gender. My colleagues and I have been calling for a racist incident hotline since 2020. But the NDP government has only made empty announcements for years. As typical of NDP, they failed to do it. The Human Rights Commissioner has called out the NDP for their delay and lack of action, saying, I quote, the ministry was unable to provide details, including when it would be operational, who would operate it, and what funding would be allocated to it, end quote. This delay is unacceptable and leaves Asian women at risk of more violence and discrimination. Why did this Premier break his promise to implement a racist incident hotline? Attorney General. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I would like to thank the member for raising this important issue. Um, I was at the announcement yesterday um, with the Human Rights Commissioner where she addressed the rise in hate that we saw during COVID. Um, and I got to hear firsthand some of the instances of that hate and what people suffered. And it's obviously something we take seriously. We can all in this House condemn jointly and together in a, and send a clear message that hate in this promise is unacceptable. One thing I'd also like to say is this is why we reinstated the Human Rights Commissioner in 2019. And you can see with that anti-hate report that she issued yesterday the valuable contribution that having an independent Human Rights Commissioner it does for our province for us to understand in government how we need to respond. Um, I'll be looking at those very detailed recommendations. Uh, we'll be reviewing it with our team, and this government will respond to them. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The balance, the question period.